Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Now, as economies around the world recover from the pandemic, the demand for global talent has surged, hasn't it? It's no secret. The situation, of course, has been made worse by a hangover from border closures that's led to a slowdown of talent flow among countries. And in today's tight labor market here in Singapore and many other Asian economies, companies are facing even more intense competition for talent. In August, if you recall, Prime Minister Lee Hsien Lung drove home the importance of building a world-class talent talent pool by growing Singapore's own workforce while continuing to attract talent from abroad. The government has since rolled out initiatives such as the Overseas Networks and Expertise Pass or One Pass to emphasize Singapore as a global hub for talent. But how can organizations win the war for talent, both global and local? And what sorts of best practices and comparisons can be made with how companies in the West are faring? Jonathan Graham, partner at Hydric and Struggles Chicago and New York offices and David Hui, partner in charge of Hydric and Struggles Hong Kong office, join us today and we can make those comparisons and contrasts and hopefully learn something from them as well. Hi, Jonathan and David. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Let's start with you, Jonathan. Now, as the U.S. has come out of the COVID-19 pandemic, some might say at a faster rate than Singapore, what trends are you seeing in terms of how the labor market is bouncing back or not in some cases? So I think some of the trends we're seeing, if you look at the United States and how things have changed since the pandemic from a talent perspective, there are significant differences. I think the first thing is there's a need for more adaptable leaderships and adaptable talent, number one. I would say number two is there's a really important message around tone setting. I think today, since the pandemic, companies from the United States are much more purpose-driven and having a purpose-driven culture is now more important than ever, especially important with the younger talent within organizations. There's a greater emphasis on succession and talent pipeline and building that pipeline continuously and not waiting until there's an emergency, but always building your pipeline talent. And then the last thing I think is a common trend that you'll see in the U.S. is the, the hybrid working model. Yeah, that was unheard of several years ago, but now many companies have uh, much more flexibility where they'll have three workdays in the office and two workdays out of the office or a combination of different approaches. But that has become the adaptable work style in a workplace. That's become very, very common here in the United States. Mm. I'm just trying to make a comparison between that and what we're seeing in Singapore. Some experts are telling me that more and more companies are now asking their staff to work in the office all week. There is no hybrid in many companies, while others are practicing that hybrid work culture or totally work from home. But it seems that more and more companies are reverting to the old ways here in Singapore. What have you noticed overall here in Singapore and across Asia, David? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you bring that up, Arty. I mean, we hosted a dinner earlier this week where we had about 20 very senior executives from multinationals and local large Singaporean companies. And one of the hot topics was sort of the, the tension between the hybrid working model versus the more traditional working model. And, you know, we've seen this all over, as Jonathan said, in the U.S., in Europe. Europe, people have been talking about four-day weeks, going to four-day weeks. And Jonathan's talked a bit about the sort of views, in a sense, from the employer's perspective, in the sense of, you know, wanting to give employees more flexibility around where they work and how they work. 
Well, one of the other interesting ways to think about it is what the employees themselves want. We see a very distinct difference between more established, more senior employees who want to be in the office and are used to being in the office versus the younger people, maybe fresher into the workforce, who are less likely to want to come in and want more flexibility and are used to working in a more flexible working style. One of the real things we see is the change in career patterns in that people who, you know, in the past may have joined a company thinking they were going to be there for 10 years or 15 years. People don't necessarily join companies with that in mind anymore. They join with a view to gaining experience and opportunity and then with a view to moving on. So you get all these different tensions that are playing out between what employers want, what employees want, physically how to produce the most efficient workspace. So what we would say is that there is no one solution. It becomes very industry dependent, biggest determinant of what works for a company or an organization, I would say, is two things. One is the culture that you want to create in the organization and then actually the business you're in. Because as Jonathan said, you know, companies in the US and the West are being put under pressure in terms of how they operate, the purpose. So that will play out in terms of then how you treat your employees and what opportunities you give them. So there's so many different things at play. We don't think there's one cookie cutter solution Mm. and companies really have to look into themselves to find the answer. There needs to be a willingness to listen because employees are different from market to market, even from department to department within your company. I get a sense, though, that companies in the West are more willing to listen and to change their ways, to adjust their policies, whereas companies in Asia might be less willing to do so. Am I right to say that? The listening has to be on both sides. Mm. So the employers obviously have to listen to what the employees are saying. The employers and the companies are also having to listen to what stakeholders are saying, not just shareholders, stakeholders, customers. Mm. And the employees also have to listen because... Both Jonathan and I have quite a lot of grey hair between us. Mm. When employees are trying to tell us what they think, they also have to understand we have many years of experience as well. When our employees tell us and talk to us about what they want to do, we also have to respond responsibly and say we understand, but also this is what we've seen and experienced in our experience. So there's got to be a balance. And I think there is a cultural issue in that within Asia, culturally, across Asia, different countries, employees and employers, the relationships between the two and how they traditionally communicate between them will affect the messages that they get. Right. So what are the main differences in that communication style between the two regions? What can Asia learn from the West and what can the West learn from Asia? Jonathan, go ahead, please. Sure, sure. I think from the U.S., I think the way that communication has changed is pretty dramatic over the past few years. What that really means is I think today companies are much more engaged with their employees at all levels. So traditionally, if you look at lots of corporations in the West, you have traditional corporate structures and more traditional communication styles and approaches. What you see more of today is the board and senior leadership having more engaged dialogue with people at all levels in the organization and having that level of connectivity and transparency. Sometimes that's done through utilizing different tools and processes. The bottom line is you'll see even issues around diversity and inclusion, those topics 
that is just a specific topic to engage your workforce on. There are a multitude of other ways to do that. And what we've found the companies that are able to really make that connection and have that dialogue with people at all levels of the organization, those companies do much better in terms of performance as well as to retaining their talent. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Singapore has been having this talent discourse for many, many years now. And people are our probably, some might say, most important resource because we're such a small nation. So there's been a focus on developing local talent, making sure reskilling and upskilling takes place. But there's also been a focus on attracting global talent. And we have many policies in place to do that. Now, In light of concerns over the U.S. decoupling from China, I understand that you think this might actually prove to be an opportunity for Singapore to actually evolve into a more powerful talent hub. Tell us more about that, David. I think Singapore has always been an attractive place for sort of expat talent to come to live and to work. It's always presented great opportunities in certain areas, in particular financial services is the obvious one. You know, Singapore plays an important role as a regional financial services hub. Hong Kong's role over the last few years has become much more China-focused, and I think that's enabled Singapore to take on a much more regional lens in terms of regional management. I think, you know, the challenge for Singapore is to continue to grow into new industries and new areas. And we talk a lot and we hear a lot in Singapore about sort of technology, high-tech manufacturing. And these are other areas where there's huge growth opportunities in the region for countries or cities to basically step in and and be those hubs and create those ecosystems for those companies to come and and survive. But it's not just about the individual hiring of talent, but it's about creating that whole ecosystem, ecosphere, where companies can survive and grow. And just coming back a little bit to the previous point about sort of the cultural piece, the difference with the West and some parts of Asia, because I do think it's relevant, is that traditionally, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, you've had a lot of family businesses running large chunks of the economy or, or, or government businesses very involved. And And to a certain extent, one could argue that that stifled some of the entrepreneurism compared to sort of the Western sort of economies. And I think that one of the big changes that we'll see with hybrid working and these sort of challenges are that people want to be more entrepreneurial. So I think that's where you'll see a lot of drive in places like Singapore and Hong Kong to bring more talent in. All right. Thank you very much for that, guys. Jonathan Graham, partner at Hydric and Struggles Chicago and New York offices. And we were also speaking with David Hui, partner in charge of Hydric and Struggles at their Hong Kong office. Thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.